0: Hey folks, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning into Front Row Knowles and thanks to the Champions Club and Seminole Boosters for their longtime support of this podcast. By now you've seen or heard about the Boosters One Tribe campaign, which is annual membership to Seminole Boosters that helps fund the most vital needs of the FSU Athletics program, including scholarships, academic support, and athletic training. I'll put this as simply as I can. If you're listening to this podcast, you care about FSU Athletics and should be a booster. Many of you already are. Thank you. And I encourage you, if you're able, to increase your support. If you're not a member, you can join for as little as 70 bucks a year. Just go to boosters.fsu.edu to learn more. And now sit back, keep your seat, keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle. Well, you know the drill. Enjoy the show. Here's
1: Front Row Knowles.
0: good day everybody make that great day as I say hello to Keith Jones welcome you to Front Row Knowles it's NCAA tournament week Keith and I'm excited
2: both of Florida State's teams are uh, dancing uh, the ladies were the number nine seed the men with the number four uh, and we were holding our breath in hopes and maybe in some degree still holding our breath in hopes that this thing will continue because uh, it's been a couple years I mean uh, I'm excited I've I- I've forgotten what it feels like almost. I'm ready to get re-energized.
0: I am. I am. The tournament's always fun, especially when it's been two years. And not only that, but most of the other sporting events from the past year, while they weren't the same, they did still continue. They moved them into a bubble in the case of the NBA or to a different spot on the calendar. But the March Madness just never got played. So it's nice to have it back. We will dive into that and get a Bird's eye view from a Florida State friend of mine who's a sportscaster in Indianapolis. That conversation is coming up. We'll also jump into spring football. Patrick Burnham has been out to practice a couple of times, so he will serve as our Osceola insider this week. And we will get an update on what he's seen thus far. One practice that was open to the media, not in pads, one practice in pads course this is the time Keith where we get all optimistic and we draw big conclusions based on one play where a receiver beat a DB and made it one great catch even though same receiver may have dropped the ball the next six times it was thrown to him.
2: It is the nature of uh, being a fan there's no question and uh, without having seen you know practices then obviously the media is excited about just the opportunity to go out there even though you've got to stand on the quote-unquote balcony at Hauser, and you're kind of removed, at least you're there, and that's not been the case for a long time as well.
0: Congratulations to the Florida State baseball team, by the way. I feel like it should be, maybe it's in our bylaws or our organizational plan, thorough document that it is for Front Row Knowles, Keith, that if a Florida State team beats the University of Florida in any sport, Aren't we required to mention that within the first three minutes of the show? Is that how this works?
2: Uh, I don't know if it's a requirement, but uh, it is an age-old practice, so we will continue it.
0: Mike Martin Jr. has never lost to the University of Florida in his entire head coaching <laughs> career. Unbeaten, unblemished, 1,000 winning percentage.
2: The thing that I did not realize, and I should have, <clears throat> me, and I'm sure our fans know and our listeners That's the first time that FSU has beaten Florida since, I believe, 2016. Now, they did not play in Tallahassee last year, but that's still quite a ways since the last time you beat your rival on your home field.
0: Yeah, on your home field, because they did beat them last year, which was the last game at the University of Florida's old stadium, as it, it turned out.
2: And isn't that the last loss? that Florida experienced in their old stadium.
0: Exactly. That will forever be the last loss because they've got a new stadium now. So You know who had the
2: last basketball win against the University of Maryland in the Cole House?
0: Leonard Hamilton. Exactly. Well, did Hugh Durham not have the last ever win against Adolph Rupp in the 72 run to the Final Four?
2: That was not site-specific or building-specific, but yes, you are correct.
0: So we're just full of Florida State trivia today as we're talking March Madness. That 72 team, by the way, I don't remember all of it, but in getting – and we had Hugh on maybe last year or two years ago probably when there actually was a tournament we had him on. Obviously, everybody recalls or it's known that Florida State lost to, to John Wood in UCLA in the middle of UCLA's run. But along the way, they did beat Dean Smith in Carolina and Adolph Rupp in Kentucky. So it was it was a pretty formidable uh, murderer's row there en route to the championship game.
2: In back-to-back games.
0: Yeah. So now
2: you have three of the greatest programs with the three greatest coaches that Florida State played on that route. Reminds me of, what was it, Oktoberfest in 81 of the football right. team?
0: Yeah, similar. So we will, we'll talk more about March Madness as this moves along congratulations to the baseball team. I guess just to finish that up, and I I have not, I did watch last night's game. We will get to baseball, folks. Uh, Right now, we've been focusing on basketball. We'll dive deeper in baseball. The biggest thing here, though, and, and we talked about it, I in particular opined that the game had too many strikeouts, and lo and behold, Florida State started hitting the ball, but it has long been known, and a wise old colonel shared this with me years ago when I used to announce the games, but when the weather warms up, the ball starts going out of the yard at Mike Martin Field, and I, talking about Chip Baker, and more specifically, he's talking about the May regional wins when it's really hot. But nevertheless, it got a little warmer, and more than that, Mike Jr. switched up his lineup, and he's got his ace starter out there as a batter, and all he does is hit home runs and get base hits, and he's got another pitcher hitting. He, he sat the guys down who weren't making contact, and he's he's had some success by shaking things up
2: and you talk about the strikeouts, Florida State's pitching staff combined uh, for 15 strikeouts against the Gators, the number five team in the country, and I have not been paying attention to this, Tom, and then we'll move along, <clears throat> but did you did you realize that the top five teams in the country
0: were all from the SEC? I did because I heard it last night, but prior to that, I wasn't aware. <laughs> well, At least here's, you're the, honest. here's the reality, Keith, and Again, we don't need to have an ACC network TV revenue conversation right now, but I think the these single sport where the SEC has gained the most ground, we talk about football, it may well be college baseball because every school in the SEC, I say every, I bet 80% of them have a baseball stadium that's brand new. They're spending 60 and 80 million on them. They, they've sunk resources into that. The SEC is the league that lobbied for a fourth umpire ahead of the others because they could afford to pay the fourth umpire. They've lobbied for the third full-time assistant because they can afford to pay the third full-time assistant. That might be the one, and plus the SEC network, so those games program every day of the week. That might be the sport where there's been the most ground covered by one league over the last five to six years.
2: I am encouraged, however, Tom. You are correct, The the, the – the... Need to catch up exist, but the biggest thing that jumped out at me last night because I hadn't done any work, I was just sitting at the house watching the game. Is the announcers for this game? I consider ESPN's number one, certainly number two crew with with Jason Benetti, who's a who's a Florida State guy, and uh, and and KP. I mean that's that's a very good thing for the ACC network as well with those guys working the game.
0: Yeah. And just to clarify that we've had Jason on the show. Jason used to be the studio host for Florida state football and basketball broadcast for a couple of years. When you say Florida state guy, he's not a Florida state alum, but he did do our broadcast for a few years.
2: I'm sorry. I, I, that's what I meant. I misspoke, but yes, that's what I meant. He's a, he's a guy we've worked with and know.
0: Right. And has gone on to a a really successful career. Yeah, no, I thought it was good and see, we got off onto a tangent as we always do. Moral of the story is the baseball team after struggling early has now won two out of three in its last two conference series beat Florida now goes to Miami. And I'll tell you what, if they can win this series at Miami, people will be feeling very good about the quick turnaround that, that Mike jr. And this team has made, but we knew it was coming. There's, there's talent on this team. Okay. Basketball, Keith, UNC Greensboro. I know, that in your man cave, you have all kinds of video clips and full games stored on that computer, and you've gone back and you've watched countless UNC Greensboro games to get a set for this, right?
2: Uh, that's a negatory, Ghost Rider. The, uh, the pattern is full.
0: <laughs> have you poured over the internet and determined what we need to know?
2: That, that would be an additional negatory, and don't spill your coffee when I come by.
0: Then what I will share is that Isaiah Miller is their best player. He's been the SoCon player of the year, two years in a row, the defensive player of the year, three years in a row. He's a diminutive six foot guy who gives everybody fits. Now he doesn't shoot from the outside as a whole, the team doesn't shoot well from the outside, but apparently he wreaks such havoc inside. He's the only scorer that averages in double figures that it's enough to give opposition, the opposition problems. That said, I'm optimistic that Florida State can take care of business on Saturday.
2: Saturday is not my concern, uh, obviously. And now that's a very boastful comment for someone that hasn't done a lot of homework. But, uh, you know, in theory, Florida State should win that game easily. They play again on Monday. Uh, The the thing that bothers me, if I read the schedule correctly, is if they get past the first two games, then they theoretically have Michigan on the horizon in week number two, weekend number two. Uh, And that'll get your – that'll get your juices flowing real quick because they're the number one seed on that side.
0: Of course, there's also the potential that Florida state makes it through and LSU springs the upset over Michigan, in which case the block family will have an annulment uh, for next weekend, whenever that game would be played. I will not be conversing
2: with your spousal unit. Uh, That would be a, that would be a factual statement.
0: We're breaking several rules. The most notable Keith, that you got to take it one game at a time. So while I agree that Florida State's the better team than UNC Greensboro, first-round games always scare me. Nobody had Virginia losing as a number one seed to a 16 a few years ago. Florida State has size. I do think it's good in looking at the UNC Greensboro roster. They actually have a couple of seven-footers who are their fifth or sixth leading scorers. So it's not a case where you've got all six two guys and Leonard might have to go completely small, and take his bigs out of it. I think if, if UNC Greensboro stays to what they've done this year, they will play the 6'10 and 7-footers, and Florida State will go with basically its, its regular lineup. The main thing they need to do, regardless of whether the guy's is 6'2, 7-foot, whoever they're playing, they can't be so loose with the basketball. I was so frustrated in that Georgia Tech game, and you have to credit Georgia Tech because they are pesky, and there are plenty of times you'd play those games, and if you reach in – like Alvarado does, even if you're only getting ball. I think I saw Jim Lamar tweet this, who's a former basketball coach in his uh, earlier days, was an assistant at TCC. 10 times out of 10 times, they call that a foul. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's accurate, even if you catch all ball. But even that aside, there was so much sloppiness and carelessness. And I hope, I hope that it's a product of MJ Walker really hasn't practiced in a month and other guys have been out, and so there just wasn't that continuity. But whatever the case, if you're going to turn it over 25 times, well, then you better shoot 80% from three
2: if you're going to win. Well, and the did. They shot 50% from the floor and 52% from three, I think it was. 25 turnovers was the official count. That's an ACC tournament record, a bad record for Florida State. 14 steals by Georgia Tech, which speaks back to your uh, thought process, Uh, I I think the bigger issue with that, though, Tommy, is what you're beginning to see. We talk about the Virginia defense, that pack line defense. We talk about Syracuse that plays the zone almost all the time. The particular defense that, that Florida State was going up against with Georgia Tech, because they had to do it, was a form of matchup zone that candidly just confused FSU. They never got a firm handle on how to attack it or how to approach it. And I don't know if that's something they might potentially see moving forward, but that's my bigger concern. They weren't necessarily able to make some adjustments during the game or at halftime to address the defense that they were facing. Again, it's a little bit of a a unique defense, a little bit unusual. Very few few people run it. Uh, Pastors had to run it because he's He's candidly just hasn't had the horses to do what he wants to do, but it worked very well for him in that particular ball game for Georgia tech.
0: I think what it points to, we had this conversation as this year has unfolded and there was the period after Florida state never missed a shot against NC state and won by 40 or whatever it was probably 25 ultimately, but led by, I think 40 drilled Virginia. So the conversation would turn to, Was is this year's team as good as last year's and, the way the season went, it was no, no, no. Yeah, I think they are. Yeah, I think they are. And now we're back at least in my mind to no, they're not. And the single biggest difference, well, it's really two differences. The biggest one is Trent Forrest at the point, because as good as Scotty Barnes is he's still learning the position. He does things that Trent can't do, but he also doesn't do things as well as what Trent did. And then Raquan Evans has struggled. And then the second biggest thing is we didn't appreciate maybe in the moment we did, how good a defender Patrick Williams was in terms of just cutting off guys getting to the those two things i don't see out there now they do have some again Scotty Barnes can do things that Trent couldn't do and and i love watching him play but that to me is the two biggest differences from last year to this
2: they collapse very well they 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 defend in the paint but when you go up against a, a point guard or even a wing player that has passing skills that can draw that help defense in and then then get that ball out that's another area that FSU's got to be a little more disciplined in. In other words, instead of two players going after the, the guy that's penetrating, one player goes after him and another one stays to someone closest to him and make someone make a shot, not give them that easy pass for the dunk. Now that's a gross oversimplification, and I'm sure I should use bigger terms than that, but that's what I see.
0: Florida State plays Saturday. Hopefully, they advance. Then, Monday, they would play Georgetown or Colorado. And then, after that, if the seeding stays true, they would get the number one seed, Michigan, next weekend at a date and time to be determined. Speaking of dates and times to be determined, we have determined in our pre show meeting that uh, Patrick Burnham from the Osceola will join us about two minutes from right now. If you're listening live on the radio, and mo- almost instantaneously, if you're on the podcast, stay with us here on Front Row Knowles.
1: Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith.
0: Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Let's talk some football now. We'll get back to March Madness, and uh, we'll hear from a guest that's uh, in Indianapolis covering the tournament in our next segment. Right right now, though, we open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency ensuring our future together. Say hello to our Osceola insider, Patrick Burnham. How are you, Pat? Great, guys.
3: How are you guys? And uh, hopefully, you're having a great St. Patrick's Day. Uh, may your glasses stay full and your brackets remain unbusted.
2: Well, I keep trying not to wear green, but nobody pinches a guy over 60, so I'm left out. <laughs> well,
3: I'm not wearing green today yet either. I'm going to wait I go out in public. <laughs>
0: Pat, we're in the same age range here. And when you when you said, may your glasses stay full, I thought the next line was going to be, and your bladders stay unbusted. Since you know, <laughs> we're back from the bladder bust days of the first. But my oh, bracket, my know. bracket, just to move that along quickly, is unbusted. And I, I feel pretty confident that at least until Friday around lunchtime, I'm going to be unblemished.
3: I got the same feeling for mine as well. <laughs>
0: All right, well, as much as we appreciate your hoops expertise, we did bring you on to talk some football. So I'm a am going to start not where we normally start, we meaning anybody talking FSU football, because it always starts with the quarterbacks. Right. So we're four practices in, you've seen two of them. One of them was in pads. I want to know what you saw from your former position on the offensive line that you were excited about, concerned about, caught your attention, fill in the blank.
3: Well, you know, the first thing you know, Notice is the guys seem to be a little bit leaner, a little bit in better shape. You see some physical changes in their bodies, uh, whether it's Darius Washington or Dante Lucas, or even a guy like Jalen Goss, who looks like he's putting on weight. So you notice that. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of competition uh, that's going on across the offensive line to figure out who that eight man rotate, eight or nine man rotation is going to hopefully be. But, uh, you know, a guy that stood out to me. Uh, particularly with the day in pads uh, a Maurice Smith, who just had a dominant day on the boards. You know, it looks like he is clearly stronger than he was a year ago uh, at this time. Uh, You know, Thomas Schrader shows some leadership ability and, you know, he's kind of uh, a vocal guy in practice. He kind of will, you know, he'll, he'll talk back and forth with the defensive line. So it was kind of fun to see that, Uh, you know, Robert Scott has was impressive who played as a true freshman last year. Uh, You know, so uh, Zane Herring's back after missing last year with a uh, shoulder injury. So, you know, it looks like there, you know, the depth's going to be a little bit greater than it was last year
2: for our listeners that may not be familiar or and others that we just haven't talked about it for a while, that, uh, that little drill called board drills describe it in about 20 seconds and then talk about the importance of it. Well,
3: you know, board drill is basically a man on man. Uh, you've got a ball carrier behind the offense, uh, a defender, uh, lined up against an offensive lineman and then what they do with Mike Norvell is there's somebody at the linebacker level and then somebody at the secondary level, but it's a one-on-one uh, get off, you know, make a block for the offense, get off a block for the defense. And it is a, is anything else is a toughness drill.
0: You mentioned Marie Smith, another guy that seems to have been impressive. I'll, I'll just move. We'll start with offense and continue at the tight end position. I know they don't, they don't have all the bodies back yet because the UCLA transfer is still out, but Jackson West is one of the names that uh, Mike Norvell has talked about. I think yesterday in particular, he mentioned that. And, and I know Cam McDonald spoke with the media yesterday too. Did you focus on the tight ends much? And if so, what have you gleaned there?
3: Yeah. I mean, obviously it's a, this could end up being a, a position of strength for Florida state in 2021. Uh, you know, every single guy in, on that, that position group has added weight. You got Cameron McDonald at 242. you know, he's a natural born receiver from the tight end position where he has to improve his, uh, run blocking, particularly lead blocking and hit that extra weight and strength will certainly, uh, uh, Helping with that. Uh, he's got great hands. We've already seen that demonstrated in the spring. Uh, you know, Jackson West physically does not look like a true freshman uh, or a guy that should not even a true freshman, a guy that's still in high school because he's an early enrollee. We saw on film that he's athletic. We asked uh, Coach Thompson, tight ends coach yesterday during his press conference about Jackson and Jackson is is acclimated very well. He's not having a problem adjusting to the physicality. Now, you know, he's going to have to You know, it's a little bit more of a beating your body takes when you get to college. So, you know, he's going to have to keep that going throughout the rest of spring. But uh, then you've got a kid, uh, Wyatt Rector's over 240. Uh, You know, Austin White, a walk-on, has looked good. DJ Daniels, another walk-on. Do one of those guys step up? Uh, But Cameron McDonald certainly looks the part, uh, is bigger. Certainly, we talked to Cam yesterday, and he sounds like a more confident football player. And then you get Jordan Wilson back, who's 260. Uh, You know, he's almost he's kind of a bonus guy because he he got the free year. He was hurt last year, but he's over 260. And you watch him run on the, the sidelines, and, boy, he is well put together. And I can't wait to see what he can do when he puts on pads and gets after it.
2: By all accounts, uh, Corbin has really elevated himself in that re- running back segment. Did you see? I know it's just one practice in pads, but did you see the continuation of that development?
3: Well, yeah. I mean, he looks leaner. He looks lighter on his feet. Uh, obviously, he's a year, you know, another year removed from surgery himself. Uh, he's probably more confident in the offense. It looks like. Toa Feely is kind of going to be that running back slash slot receiver guy. So it looks like Jay Sean is probably going to, you know, at least be your first team guy at running back at least early in spring. But uh, certainly a guy that seems to, like some of these other young guys seems to be taking uh, the next step in his development as a football player, show good hands, from what we saw and scale and uh, some team stuff, some team oriented stuff. All right, Bobby, now you can talk about him.
0: Well, I was going to go one more position and then talk about quarterbacks. Is that okay, Keith? Sure. All right. So Malik McLean's name came up yesterday, and I know Mike Norvell also mentioned and and we're aware, not all the receivers are in yet. You've got one transfer uh, potentially coming in that's not signed yet, and then you've got Dustin Hill. What have you – two practices, again, with with quarterbacks who are shaking some rust off in the case of one who's learning Florida State's system – So I don't know how many conclusions you can draw, but what have you seen at the receiver position, Pat?
3: Well, I mean, it's definitely deeper than it was last year. You've got Josh Burrell and Malik McClain, two early enrollees in going through spring. That's certainly going to help this position uh, develop uh, faster than it would have if those guys didn't report to fall. Uh, You know, there were far too many drops uh, the first day of practice in shorts, uh, you know, they've got to get that rectified. That is probably the one thing that uh, carried over. But you look like a guy, Brian Robinson, who's uh, really smooth at running his routes. And, uh, you know, Malik McLean and Josh Burrell do not look like true uh, early enrollee freshmen. They are physically advanced uh, and show good size. Uh, Kentron Portier, made several nice catches the first day we watched them in shorts and scale our seven on seven. And then of course you got Pookie Wilson and Jordan Young, but uh, certainly, uh, you know, Darian Williamson looks very smooth on his routes, but uh, you know, we paid more attention to them on the day that they were not in pads uh, more so than we did the day they were the day when they were in pads, we focused more on the offensive, defensive lines.
0: Okay. Now we'll go there. Keith said it was time. So quarterbacks, we're two practices into your eyes, so you obviously are ready to call the starter. What'd you see?
3: <laughs> <laughs> listen, yeah, listen. Uh, it looks like it's going to be by all uh, purposes. It looks like it's going to be a battle. You know, we asked Kenny Dillingham uh, two weeks ago that he, you know, did they have a date to name a starter he said he thought it would last into the fall camp uh is that a good thing or a bad thing for Florida State I don't know um you know but uh, certainly uh the first day in shorts Jordan looked sharper than any of the other quarterbacks when they got into the team part of uh 11 on 11 when they went through some first and 10 uh down and distance situations and some third and 10 down a distance, but, uh, certainly, uh, you know, Jordan is a little bit more experienced in the offense than the other three quarterbacks. But, uh, You know, I'm not ready to make a call. I've said this the whole time. Uh, You know, Mackenzie Melton, both days we were there, was flushed out of the pocket in different drills and has the speed to get to the sideline before anybody can touch him. Now, they're not going to touch him. They're not going to touch any of the quarterbacks, but certainly his mobility uh, is, uh, you know, he's probably not what he was before he was hurt, certainly, but he certainly does show the ability to get out of the pocket. And, uh, you know, so I think. This is going to be a very interesting battle, but I certainly think uh, based on their body of work at this point in their careers, if McKenzie Milton is healthy, uh, you know, and gets through spring healthy and gets through fall camp. You got to think that he's a starter, but I do think Jordan Travis and Tate Rodemaker and Chuba Purdy are going to battle uh, both Chuba and Tate look like their arms are a year stronger, you know, than they were when we saw him last, Well, we saw Tate last spring for sure. But uh, you know, it's, you know, we're still in the early stages of spring and, uh, you know, but I think that they've got some good, you know, four good prospects to work with as they go into fall, fall camp.
2: Generally speaking, according to the book of football, the defense is ahead of the offense early on. And we've been told that the defense is kind of at their way with the offense. So I guess we just don't even need to talk about the defense. They'll be uh, ready to go. come fall. <laughs> don't even need to bring them up.
3: Well, you yeah, know that defense is uh, fired up as
2: we were coming out of day two of
3: spring or day three of spring, our second day out there. You know, the defense, uh, you know, has got a, a lot of improvement to do across the board, uh, but certainly that first day of pads, uh, Keith, as you're no stranger to, the defense was the better of the two looking sides of the ball. Uh, they got after the offense consistently throughout the day, whether it was in individual drills being the boards, whether it's pass rush drill, whether it was pods with shotguns, which is what i call the when they are in small groups whether it's the two guards and the tackle against the three technique and our nose tackle working their way up to a linebacker so and then of course uh you know the one thing uh jermaine johnson the defensive end transfer from georgia boy he certainly looked the part in day three of spring ball day one of pads uh he was dominant in every drill it didn't matter what they lined up in he you know he was dominant in boards he was dominant in pass rush and he was dominant in 11 on 11 so early you know early prognosis or prospects for him he certainly looks to be an upgrade from what we saw uh, last spring from that defensive end group. And then, you know, a guy that really looks like he's coming on is Fabian Lovett, and he and Robert Cooper during the time that we were there were switching off times with the ones, but he had a great day in pads for his first day. Again, a guy that stood out in every drill. Uh, they were working on a little bit of a 4-2-5 t- uh, base defense or nickel base, uh, Keith, uh, you know, against 11 personnel, which they see a lot of in um, – the ACC, obviously, outside of probably Boston College. So, uh, you know, uh, but, yeah, certainly some good things up front. Uh, you know, Keir Thomas is not going through spring. He's over what I call with the mass unit, uh, with the um, rehab guys. And, uh, you know, certainly he, we talked to him yesterday, and he's, he's really frustrated by the fact that he's not out there. Uh, and then, again, then, you know, we saw Quayshawn Fuller flash a couple times. Then at linebacker, you know, they've made a couple of adjustments uh, with that 4 look. Amari Gaynor slides over to the other side of the ball, goes to Will. And Emmett Rice, who's now coming back at 230 pounds, is the Mike linebacker in that look. So, uh, And then, of course, you know, the Jamie Robinson and Brandon Moore, uh, both transfers from uh, South Carolina and UCF, respectively, have looked uh, very good, as has Jarvis Brownlee.
2: Pat, philosophically, to... Pat, that that four two five, I, I know that that's run a lot of the time, even yes. if you don't call it your base defense. But I I personally think by calling it your base defense and starting with it, you put the mindset in the kids that that's what we're running the bulk of the time, and I like I like it. I, I think it takes advantage of the personnel that they have, and I think schematically you can do a lot of things out of it.
3: Yeah, I, listen, it makes sense. You know, everyone, it seems like most every offense they're going to face is 11 personnel base offense with one back, one tight end, and three receivers. And you're right, uh, FSU has more talent and more bodies to pull from in the um, – Defensive backfield that they do at linebacker, where I've got them with uh, eight scholarship linebackers in the spring. Uh, so certainly, when you bring in a guy like Jamie Robinson from South Carolina, who's excelled in that nickel uh, corner or uh, nickel back, whatever you want to call him, position, you know he allowed you know he's got the physicality to be able to roll down into the box and you know support the run very um, solidly, which he did at South Carolina. And then you know you've got some uh, talent. You know, we saw Jarvis Brownley come on during the course of the year. Brandon Moore is a proven product at corner. At the would be a proven product at the other corner. So you're going to probably be able to do some things with coverage that you haven't been able to do before.
0: Drilling a little deeper on that, and Keith went just where I was going to go with the four-two-five, Pat. So obviously they've made some changes at the linebacker spot there to keep those guys on the field when they're in that four-two-five part of this would have to do with with substitution patterns too though wouldn't it i mean if you're playing somebody and they're going and you were in a 4-3 and and they're not subbing you can't sub your package in so this is just a feel based on where the game is going that if you're going to have to have one group out there more than another group the 4-2-5 is the group to have out there predominantly is that
2: Yeah accurate? i mean
3: yeah i mean you want to line up a guy that can run against a guy that can run right uh, you know if you've got a you know, sometimes it's a mismatch when you got a slot receiver on a linebacker. Uh, you know, and having Jamie Robinson in there uh, or whoever's going to back him up, uh, uh, Kevin Knowles. Uh, a guy that's early enrolled, uh, who's made an impression on Adam Fuller. You know, you you've better you got a better chance of covering those guys with a strong safety, free safety type or nickel guy, better than you do an outside linebacker of some sort. So yeah, and you're seeing everybody do this. I mean, everybody's got a base four two five package, and you see more teams going through it as these these spread offenses
2: continue to evolve. The bane of defenses, the slot receiver against somebody that's a little less quick. And that daggum wheel route on a linebacker. Those are are keep defensive coordinators up late at night. It's amazing. No
0: one's ever been able to solve the mystery of the wheel route
3: (laughs) over (laughs) the history of football.
0: (laughs) Well, and and then there's the tight end throwback that comes into play once every five games too, right? So let's go go bigger uh, or wider uh, than specific players. Just general observations of tempo and pace and organization or uh, diligence, attitudes. Attitude. Yeah, attitude.
3: Well, listen, uh, I will say this: this looks like a program that's in its second year with the new staff. Uh, you know, the coaches were. Coaching as opposed to coaching you know coaching football as opposed to coaching effort, the players seem to be holding each other accountable for effort uh, it 's a very competitive practice you know we saw that through the entirety of the day uh, uh, during our our day in pads on friday i mean it didn 't matter whether it was board drills. Uh, inside scale or 11 on 11, you know, there was a competitive nature about the practice. The offense virtually got shut down in the first and 10 part of the scrimmage, but boy, they, they didn't lose energy. They came back on the third and long part of the scrimmage and, you know, they got after the defense a little bit. So, you know, they're showing that backbone to you know, continue to fight through things and continue to progress. So uh, the energy level was definitely, uh, above and beyond what we've seen, you know, it's been a year since we've been in practice, you know, we don't know what it was like in the fall, but certainly the energy level seemed to be, uh, and the level of, meeting coaches expectations seem to be higher than what it was when we saw them last spring so uh, a lot of i think a lot of progression the energy is great with the attention to detail that we saw from the coaches uh last spring is something that's still there and of course you know mike norvell is high energy as are most of his coaches you know uh i remember that he came out of the indoor facility after they stretch and he's challenging robert scott to a uh, race to the 50-yard line to start the team takeoff drill. So uh, still a lot of energy. Uh, really impressed with the way these kids are competing.
0: Patrick Burnham, our Osceola insider. Uh, we'll catch you out at practice later this week. Thanks for the uh, the thorough update, and I'll remind our listeners, go ahead and subscribe to the Osceola if you have not done so already. Pat, great catching up, sir. All right, guys. Have a great day. Thanks, Pat. We'll bounce back to basketball momentarily when Front Row Noles continues.
1: Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS.
0: Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Thanks to Pat Burnham to from the Osceola for catching us up on FSU football. We're going to bounce over or back to basketball now and uh, we'll keep that Earl Bacon Agency hotline open as we say hello to an old, I guess I'd say acquaintance friend. Really, she was a student when I was teaching over in the uh, College of Communication and Information several years ago. Taylor Tannenbaum, who's a sportscaster in Indianapolis, which is, of course, is the site of the NCAA tournament. How are you, Taylor?
4: I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's been a while.
0: It it has. I, I hate to start there, but how many years ago was that? Because I honestly don't remember uh, what year that was I was teaching that course.
4: I think you taught me in 2011 or 12. I graduated in 13, so it's been about a decade.
0: It's been about a decade. Well, I right. fo- <laughs> followed your career via social media, and so Taylor is a proud Florida State alumnus. I think it's noted in her Twitter bio, but she also managed to arrive in Alabama and cover Nick Saban in the Tide for probably four national titles, and now has been in Indianapolis the last couple of years as a sports anchor reporter at WTHR, so which is the NBC affiliate in Indianapolis. This is we've never seen anything like this: all sixty-eight teams in one city. And so I, I wanted to reach out just so you can share with our listeners what it's been like from. Uh, just what it's like in general fan access, media access is the city a buzz. I mean, it's, it's crazy to run a tournament in a bubble like this, but we're going to do it.
4: It's pretty incredible. And and the good thing is, is you had a little bit of a dry run because you had both big 10 men's and women's last week. Also the horizon league tournament was here as well. So you kind of got to see what the next month is about to look like with all 68 teams, but on a, a smaller scale, the city's buzzing. People are out. Uh, Protocols are really in place. They are extremely organized uh, when it comes to mapping out this city and making sure everything goes as smoothly as possible. Um, You have six different sites. Uh, I believe half a dozen hotels downtown that are holding all 68 of these teams. Every team has ambassadors leading them around everywhere. They have police escorts everywhere they go, Um, especially when they're downtown. All the hotels that they're staying at and Uh, Lucas oil stadium, uh, the convention center where practices, they're all combined through walking tunnels uh, above the city. So they really don't have to go outside much into human access. So the city's buzzing everything. You can feel the hype. There's, you know, the big bracket on the side of the JW Marriott. Uh, but things are going smoothly so far. Everybody's in town aside from UVA coming later this week. Um, and so far, so good. I think the city's ready for this.
2: You mentioned the six sites. How, how far out will someone have to travel the furthest? And it would seem to me that maybe some of these games will be starting a little earlier or playing a little later than normal. Have you had any updates on those types of things?
4: Yeah, so the six sites, obviously all the teams are staying downtown between the Hyatt and the Marriott. So downtown is, is just the center hub. Then you have Arena in West Lafayette which is Purdue that's about an hour five north of the city then you have Bloomington you have uh, Assembly Hall which is IU about an hour five an hour ten south so that's the farthest they're gonna have to go is a little over an hour north and south if they're going to IU or Purdue Hinkle Fieldhouse at Butler is only about 15 minutes from downtown um, the Farmers Coliseum which is IUPUI I know a lot of people probably don't know about them they're Part of the Horizon League, they're great. They're a host site as well. That's about ten minutes from downtown. Then you have Lucas Oil Stadium and Bankers Life Fieldhouse are both downtown. So travel isn't bad. If you have to go an hour, that's nothing. That's better than a lot of these teams getting on multiple planes. If you're making it deeper into the tournament, you're flying all over the country a lot of the times. Uh, so you're spending a lot of time in your hotels, though. That is one thing. They're not allowed out to restaurants. Uh, you get Uber Eats and you get DoorDash a lot, and they order in a lot to the hotels uh, via the teams. Um, but traveling is pretty simple. You have your buses and you have your hallways and that's pretty much it. And yeah, games are gonna be going pretty late. I think I saw Saturday night, assuming Michigan State moves on. They're at Hinklefield House at 9 45, I think, Saturday night. Um it's pretty late. That would be that would be
2: 1045 Eastern.
4: Oh well, we are on Eastern. I know a lot oh, of you are, you are on Eastern. Okay. I know a lot of people get confused. Indianapolis is directly north of Nashville, which is central, but we are on Eastern. So yeah, it's it's 9 45 Eastern, which is pretty late. That's a pretty late basketball game uh, for, you know, an East coast game. Um, So they're going to be all day, all night, all weekend, Thursday to Thursday to Sunday is going to be a jam packed weekend.
0: We're talking with Taylor Tannenbaum, Florida state alum and sports anchor and reporter at WTHR, the NBC affiliate in Indianapolis. See Taylor, when, when I reached out I didn't bother to look. I didn't know in my head, is it on East Coast time or is it Central time? I would have made the assumption it's Central time as well. Did, am I correct that that no institution or no school will play in the same building twice in a row? In other words, a normal first and second round, you'd be in the same building all weekend. But Florida State, should it win on Saturday, is going to change venues, and we don't know where they'll go to at this point. Is that right?
4: I believe that's what I heard. Um, I, I don't have 100% confirmation because I know everything is so fluid. But yes, that's what I believe. If you win in that venue and you, you move on, they're going to try to switch you up. I know they're not putting Purdue at Mackey Arena. Um, they're not going to try to give them that home court advantage. Obviously, if push came to shove, I think they'd do what they have to do. Um, but for the most part, I think they want to make it fair for everybody because everyone's in a neutral site. They want to make it as neutral as possible. So I believe Florida State's a banker's life field house on Saturday, home of the Indiana Pacers and the Indiana Fever. Uh, so they will likely be at one of the other, five sites uh, following that.
0: So Bankers Life Fieldhouse, pro stadium, pro arena. Yes. I can envision what it looks like. Any any nuance to it or anything that Florida State fans would want to know specifically about it?
4: No nuances, but they did just redo the whole thing this offseason. So it's beautifully redone. It's a really cool vibe. It's right in the middle of downtown um, and it's very quaint. Like you, you can, so your fans, you'll be able to feel that they're in the building. It's not a ginormous uh arena especially when it comes to the NBA they can be a little bit bigger um but it's beautiful they just read it the video board is massive in the middle uh, so it has a really nice cool clean vibe to it and they're going to get to see a lot of people haven't even really been in there to see what it looks like so they're going to be one of the first uh to be in there and in the building and kind of christen it
2: how many fans Taylor what, what are the restrictions for for general public
4: so it's 25% Per venue, so depending on how big the venue is, obviously Lucas Oil Stadium is large, about 80,000, I believe it holds. So they can have up to like 17,500 people. Uh, So there's obviously going to be more human beings in there. Uh, Whereas you go to Assembly Hall at IU, they're only letting 500 in. And that does include teams, coaches, referees, and family. So it's going to be smaller. at Some of the smaller venues, Hinkle Fieldhouse, which you'd love to see packed, you know, home of Butler is going to be a little emptier, but you'll have a really good feel. It'll, it'll feel, it'll feel pretty cool. I think just being in these historic venues here in Indy um, at least you're going to have some people in there and at least we're playing basketball period.
0: Amen. Amen. At least we are. What about media access your hometown media? If you will, normally you'd be meeting schools at the airport, you'd be in hotel lobbies, interviewing coaches, is everything via Zoom? Are you allowed into the arena? What kind of access? Do you, and it, it's probably not different, even though your hometown for you, than it is for somebody that's on the Florida State beat. But what is the access?
4: Unfortunately, it it stinks. Like I said, we're grateful we're playing basketball. It stinks because our media access is definitely limited. Every interview is on Zoom. There are no exceptions. Uh, so everyone gets the same interviews, of course. You can request players and coaches through your school. But uh, yeah, everything is virtual. Uh, You cannot go near the teams. As far as what I know, every school gets a handful of credentials that they can hand out to their people. A handful. When I say, I literally mean five, I believe I spoke with Purdue. They only gave out five credentials and those go to a lot of their beat writers and rightfully so as far as television media, because we can't really shoot anything. Everything is, is, is very much through the networks. Uh, We're allowed in pregame. I have a pregame credential Uh, I don't have a seat though. You know, I don't have a seat to sit there and watch the game. So you can come pregame, kind of take a look, uh, go to your designated area. You cannot walk around and mingle. Um, and then you got to go. So it's definitely not normal. It's very strange. And I know I had an, uh, an encounter. I went to Purdue's hotel when they arrived and stand across the street. You got to be really far back. No one can come over to you. And I was even within, I was semi too close and and people and the NCAA guys wearing the badges were screaming so they taken they're taking this very very seriously
0: you know they're usually so cordial and on top of things that surprises me Taylor I'm just kidding don't say anything about the NCAA (laughs) they're they're in your city well I'm guessing and this sounds obvious but there's no normally there'd be a fan experience and concert there's there's none of that is there anything for the fans or it's just everybody's you know needs to be buttoned up
4: yeah. It, you know, they have some art murals out. They can go and take some photos with around the city. They have virtual, you know, they have big brackets set up in different areas that you can go look at and take pictures with, you know, the big indie sign. But for the most part, there isn't, you know, the fan section with all the blow up toys and you can throw, you know, shoot the basketball and make three pointers. You don't have that this year. Um, maybe when we get down to elite eight final four and it's a smaller contingency, I'm not so sure how that's going to work. They may have a little something. If you wear a mask, you can come in. But yeah, it's definitely different. Uh, But you know, the restaurants are 75% capacity. Uh, Hotels are welcoming people. The city is built for hosting. Indiana Sports Corp does an incredible job. Uh, So if you are coming here, if you're a Florida State fan that plans to come root this team to the final four, because that's where I have them going, uh, there's (laughs) definitely things to do. And we're making the best of the experience.
2: Taylor, is a proud Florida State alum, I know you're busy. I know your day, your days and your weeks are 70-hour, 80-hour weeks. But I know you've watched this team a little bit. What, what do you see from your perspective? What are you telling your colleagues when they ask you, what's this Florida State squad got?
4: This team can be anybody. Um, it's just been really fun to watch over the last few years. Obviously, they've always been good. But over the last few years, they've just turned into a squad that, could go either way to a team that you can really depend on. I feel like this is the last few years. Um, so I'm telling my people, I'm sending them to the final four. I believe, I know they're coming out of the West, right? They're coming out of the West and that they'd have to be Michigan or the South- Michigan, Michigan. with Michigan. Yeah. They have to be, I think they can beat Michigan. I don't even think that's a question. I think if you're going to pick a one seed to go down, that's, that's, that's what's, that's what it is. I think it's Florida state taking down Michigan. So for me, I think they're a lot of fun to watch. Um, It's a joy to watch Leonard Hamilton coach this team over the last couple of years and just finally get, I feel like the respect he's always deserved. He gets the respect, but I think he deserves a little bit more sometimes as one of the greatest and uh, I'm excited. I think they can really make a run
0: our listeners can't see it. We record these via zoom, but your biggest smile of this whole interview has been talking about Florida state, which it's great to see. So any Knowles that are going to be. In Tommy,
2: not to be confused with the sweatshirt she has on.
4: Oh yes. I got my sweatshirt on.
0: <laughs> if you're going to be an in Indy, uh, whether it's for the tournament right now or at any point, uh, tune into WTHR and catch up with Taylor Tannenbaum, one of Florida state's own the NBC affiliate there. Taylor, as we wrap up, uh, you know you were at florida state i'm just trying to think of the you mentioned the timeline you got started in alabama so and and correct me where i'm wrong on this but i'm thinking about over your career you i seem to recall that you were at the kick six game for auburn yes. and then you were at the florida state auburn national championship i don't know how many alabama big moments or national titles you covered Then you get to Indy and I think you were there when Andrew Luck suddenly retires. I mean, you've had no shortage of small stories. I'm sure there's plenty I'm leaving out, but there's been a few in there.
4: Yeah, it's it's been crazy. That was my first season as an employee, you know, in this career was covering Auburn's kick six against Alabama then going to national championship. And they just so happened to be playing my alma mater in California, the last BCS title game at the Rose bowl, which is historic in and of itself. And that was just a blast. And then, I went to every college football playoff after that. The only one Alabama lost in the semifinal was the following year. But after that, they made a run every single year. Um, come here. The Colts are great. And then Andrew Luck retires, uh, which was, and it's just been crazy since then. You get the Indy 500 here. Uh, so I got my first Indianapolis 500 experience before we got shut out with COVID and had no fans. But that was incredible. Um, it's been fun. You got some of the best high school and college basketball in the country. So, I'm excited for the city to be put on the stage and, and to kind of see what basketball brings here this month.
0: Taylor, it's great to catch up. Don't tell any of the Colts fans there, but I know you're a Dolphin fan at heart because you're I from am. South Florida. But we'll keep that between us. So thanks for the update. Congratulations on your career success and have a very, so. very much so.
4: I have to owe, I owe some credit to you. Thank you so much.
0: <laughs> well, you don't know credit to me, but I'm glad that things have worked out in your, in your chase and you're and you're chasing your dream. Let's take a break. We'll come back with more front row knolls right after this.
1: Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith.
0: Last segment here on Front Row Knowles as we finish things up. Tom and Keith, KJ, KJ, Perhaps now more than at any point this season, I'm regret not regretting, but I'm jealous that I'm not an Indy right now to watch Florida State play this weekend.
2: I would love to be there as well. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting. I hope, I hope Florida State makes the run that we expect them to make. I hope they don't have a hiccup along the way. Uh, I'll be so disappointed. I thought it was interesting to segue in a little bit, Taylor talking about how strenuous they are with the protocols and that type of thing. I've got two gentlemen that, They're not friends of mine, but they're gentlemen that I've gotten to know over the 20 years that I did basketball that are officials, referees uh, for the Atlantic Coast Conference and uh, Roger Ayers and and Teddy Valentine. And they were scheduled to work in Indianapolis. And this is, you and I were talking before we came on the air about unintended consequences. Well, well, Roger and, and Teddy show up at the hotel and their rooms are not ready. I'm assuming this was Sunday night. They show up, the rooms are not ready. And there were four other gentlemen there that were associated uh, with officials or or the ACC and or the uh, NCAA. And they did what you and I would do. If you and I showed up somewhere and our rooms weren't ready and it was dinner time. we would say, well, let's go grab a bite. And then we'll come back and get our keys. Well, these six guys did just that. And then one of them tested positive. And now the other five have been sent home along with the sixth one that tested positive. So Roger and Teddy will not be working in Indianapolis, not because they necessarily did anything wrong, but, but, but because that's how tight the protocols are. As Taylor was talking about, you know, with, with being a little too close uh, when Purdue showed up at their hotel. And, and I think we'll hear other stories, unfortunately, about that. I don't say that in a negative way per se. I'm simply saying that's how tight the controls are and what they're trying to accomplish with these 68 teams and and these games going forward.
0: And I was concerned when I saw the names because Roger Ayers and Teddy Valentine officiated Florida State's two games at the ACC tournament, if I'm not mistaken. So I was hoping there was not any connection to Florida State there. And uh, just keep the fingers crossed until you tip things off. Yeah, it's hard to say. I don't know. I think if we tracked it, Keith, You probably could find an even amount of examples of teams that were on a roll and had a big winning streak, won their conference tournament, and flamed out in the NCAAs as teams who looked like they were backing in, not playing great, and the next thing you know, they won three or four in a row. Syracuse a few years ago makes a Final Four run when people thought they shouldn't be in the tournament. There seems to be one of those stories every year, so predicting where FSU is going to be, I don't really know. I mean, I think it's it's certainly they have the talent, with, with talent, they should be in the Sweet 16, but that doesn't, that's not the, you know, and then from there, it's kind of a crapshoot, you know? You've you got to have a
2: few breaks. You've got to have some things go your way. The two things, however, that Florida State have going for them, though, Tommy, that in my opinion, although nothing's 100% in your control per se, the, the two things that they have that are their strengths that they can control is their defense and their ability to protect the basketball. Those are two things you can be very intentional about. Your shot may not be falling. Um, you know, there may be other things going on. Someone's got a bad ankle. Someone's got a bad knee, but they go 12 or 13 deep. But those two things you can control. And I like, I like that aspect of this team and the fact that they are in control. And if they get hot, if they shoot the ball well like they've shown they can, Uh, This is a team that can get on a roll. And let me tell you, when you get to tournament play, when you get to tournament play, I never personally played, but I was around it for 20 years. It's absolutely infectious. It's not like the the NFL where you're playing once a week. You're playing twice a week. And, And particularly your two games, you're playing one game, skipping a game, and playing a game. I mean, it's almost like baseball. And you can get on a roll. And that confidence can swell. And um, it's infectious, absolutely infectious. Being,
0: I'll go glass half full here because turnovers have been a storyline this year, but not to the degree they are right now after what we saw last week when Florida State really struggled. The storyline going in last week was Florida State can't make any shots away from the Tucker Center. So I think if we look back, nobody's happy with the result against Georgia Tech, but Florida State did make shots, and more than that, we said, well, what's wrong with MJ Walker? And I know he turned it over a ton, and I'm not excusing it, but I am thinking that all the mispractice time has caught up to him in that regard. But he finally looked aggressive again and went to the rim against Georgia Tech, which we hadn't seen in forever. And Malik Osborne had not been 100%. Lo and behold, he hits all the big threes in the game against Carolina. So my point is, maybe those two guys got healthy, and maybe if that's the case and you get a few days of practice in, the continuity comes back and some of those turnovers goes, go down. We know, uh, we know that, shoot, the coaches don't even have to talk about it, but it's kind of like a football player, you know, if he fumbles too much, he might walk around with a football all day going to class and everywhere else. I hope while they're isolated in their rooms, they're all sleeping with a basketball held tightly with two hands.
2: <laughs> uh, well, don't be surprised that Leonard wouldn't have them doing that. Uh, that. That could very well be the case. The other thing that plays into this, again, about tournament play, even though you're playing for the ACC championship against Georgia Tech and you're favored against Georgia Tech, in the back of your mind, you know if you lose, you're still going to play in the NCAA tournament. Well, now it's tournament time. So in the back of your mind, you know, if we don't win this game, the season's over. And we can talk all about how players should be as equally focused for that ACC championship game as they are for that first-round NCAA game. But last time I checked, every one of these athletes were human. And human beings do certain things relatively consistently. And one of them is to know what's going to happen if we lose. And both of those scenarios are different. Both of them are different. And now you've got to be focused, or if you lose, you go home.
0: We're going to finish up, and I hate to do so on a somber note, but Keith, you and I got the word yesterday that uh, a colleague of ours that worked many a primetime Knowles broadcast as a cameraman passed away uh, unexpectedly in his sleep, I think, last Friday, and that's Briggs Goddard. And so just condolences to to his family. And Keith, I guess it goes with getting older, but uh, we've lost a few from the crew over the years. Uh, like a Johnny Alford and a John Lou before that, and, and there's others. And uh, that, this one just struck me a little bit more because Briggs, he probably worked. I called several women's basketball games, and he was probably on those crew, and I'm talking just a month or two ago. And normally center field camera guy at baseball games. They did a really nice tribute in the baseball broadcast on ACC Network last night to him. They
2: did. I saw that, and it, it was very well done. Uh, the one thing that uh, we all remember about Briggs uh, were the buttons. He was a collector of humorous buttons. We've seen articles and, and, and a video about folks that collect uh, buttons from elections and things like that, but, but Briggs' collection was about humor, and he was always wearing one of those buttons. It would always be different. Every time I saw him, I'd ask him to show me what the button is, or if he came up to me and I, I wasn't paying attention, he'd say, here, look at this. Have it on his lapel or somewhere on his shirt. Uh, had a great attitude, very positive. Uh, taken way too young, way too young, and uh, he'll be missed. He, you know, he's one of those guys that no one ever knows about except the crew members. But the crew members knew how valuable he was and how talented he was, and uh, just a great, guy, a really great guy.
0: Amen, and and, and R.I.P. to the okay we are out of time folks enjoy the tournament this weekend hopefully next week at this time we're talking about florida state in a sweet 16 matchup uh, either way we'll be talking florida state he's keith i'm tom thanks for tuning in to front row knolls no dark
1: sarcasm in the classrooms